You're listening to a North Valley Community Church podcast. For more information and resources, visit us online at northvalleychurch.org. All right, well, good morning. Good to be with you guys. So today we're talking about foster care and adoption. We got a number of families from the church that are going to be sharing a little bit about their story. And uh, I'll share you a little bit about mine. So my wife and I and my family, we adopted a little girl by the name of Maya right here in the Phoenix Valley about eight years ago. It was uh, just uh, right around the same time we'd started the church. And so it was a crazy season for us. And I wasn't in the whole um, passionate idea about uh, fostering or adopting just because I have my own kids and my wife kind of felt the nudge first. And she said, hey, this is something that I really think we should pray about. And so uh, uh, husbands in the room, you know, if your wife says you need to pray about it, you know, it's already, the decision's already made. You just, you're supposed to go through the process. And so I was like, all right, we'll talk about it. So, and we found this beautiful little kiddo, um, God purposed this child. She stands out, right? So we're the rice family. And so we say we've got white rice, uh, wild rice, steamed rice, and then we got brown rice. So... That's, that's our family, you know, and uh, we love it and we embrace it and we're a blended family and we're, we're, we're all in. And so today I'm going to tell you my story. I'm going to teach from the scriptures, uh, show you a couple of more pictures and introduce our family. There she is. Cute little kiddo, right? Like, <clears throat> but behind that, you know, there's all sorts of mischievousness. So they always look so cute on the outside, right? Uh, but she's super special. We love her. Uh, excited uh, just to be a family that ha- had the, the vision and the experience to adopt. And it's the most powerful thing in the world to be able to adopt a child. I, I really think it's just incredible. Um, I'll show you a couple more pictures. This is uh, uh, Maya with mom. And so we just have tons of fun. She's like one of our kids. She's, she's a rice and uh, part of our family. And, uh, you know, she's a normal kid, so it's funny, like, like any kid, like if, the, you know, they always like play around, they play doctor, or they play like they're the patient, and here's a picture of her. She thought, you know, she saw somebody else get hurt, and then she like, oh, I hurt my eye, and you're like, oh, you did, really? And then here's the next picture, oh, it's okay, right? Um, but this is Maya, she's a ton of fun, and then uh, I'll show you some pictures too of her dirt biking, so I taught her to dirt bike, she became daddy's girl, when we bought the campus years ago, it was uh, decomposed granite out there in the parking lot, and uh, I taught her to ride a dirt bike, I learned how to ride a dirt bike when I was a little kid, um, and, and it was just the most awesome thing in the world, and so this kid just takes to anything super fast, and so I thought, this is an opportunity, I gotta show off my kid, Watch this video. This is her first time she ever rode a dirt bike. How was it? And here it goes. Is that your first ride? You almost uh, wrecked a couple times. You doing okay? Give it some gas. Slow down. We're going to get her falling over pretty soon, man. She doesn't know how quite to stop it. Oh, and she saved it. You need to be more careful. What? Huh? Can we go in the sand? Yeah, let's go. So, you know, I thought of it. Yeah, you my, uh, Hey, we got the sand the part. Sand Here's kit. the sand. Go for it. And <laughs> she's down. You know what's funny is all of you laugh when my child wrecks on a dirt bike. 
Like, look at that, you know? And so that's funny. I, she's, she and I have had so much fun doing fun, crazy stuff like this. Some of you might be thinking, how could he dare put his child on a dirt bike at that little? Look, you know, we're, this kid's all protected. Look at all that fox gear. I mean, do, do you know that, that dirt bike? That was a special dirt. It's custom done. I got that up in Anthem off Craigslist. It was awesome. So... Anyway, so this is my, my family, um, my story, and so I want to teach you about fostering and adoption, and really the theme of today is going to be the Father's heart, because I'm a father, and uh, I think God's heart uh, with adoption really reflects the, our Heavenly Father's heart, and so there's some real cool lessons we're going to learn today. Um, let me just clarify what adoption is. Adoption is a process. Here's a definition. Adoption is a process whereby a person assumes the parenting of another, right? Usually a child from that person's biological or legal parents or parents. And in doing so, something happens. It permanently transfers all rights and responsibilities along with filiation from biological parent or parents to the new adoptive parent or parents. So that is it. Let me show you a picture of adoption day. This is Maya right here on adoption day. So like if you're in the foster adopt world, like that is a glorious moment right there. Um, It's incredible what happens is literally in a moment's time, the judge lowers the gavel after saying this question. Is there anybody here today related to Maya that would like to claim ownership over her or be her legal guardian is there anybody here? It's a terrifying moment, actually, as the person lining up ready to adopt this child. And here's the sad news. The room is deathly silent. Nobody's there. And then the judge says, by the power vested in me, by the state of Arizona, we deem Maya to be legal citizen, or a legal uh, child uh, and, uh, to the Rice family. And right then and there, as soon as that gavel hit, Maya goes, yeah! Nobody told her to do that. But at this little age, some 13, 14 months old or whatever, or how how old is she, sweetie? (laughs) Yeah. Two and a half. See how terrible that was? 13 months old. Two and a half. This is, I, yeah, okay. So, um, but it was a glorious moment. There it is right there. So that is the picture of adoption. And so, but let me clarify what orphan is. We say the word orphan a lot. We want to clarify what it is. An orphan is a child who lost one or both parents. Many orphans live in group homes, orphanages, or foster homes. And so when you think of orphan, you think of like little orphan Annie and the orphanages, and they don't have orphanages, at least in uh, Arizona uh, um, or around uh, the country that I'm aware of, they have these things called foster homes. And so they're they're basically families that say, we'll take in this child for a period of time, and then when biological mom and dad get their lives together, they go back to biological mom. We call them in in the foster adopt world. Here's the lingo, bio mom, bio dad. It's like when you start learning all this language, you got all these cool hipster words. Like, I'm not the bio dad, I'm just a foster dad, you know. Uh, But anyway, okay, you guys aren't, uh, I'm just coming off weird, I guess. So, but an orphan is a child who lost one or both parents. Many orphans are in group homes 
orphanages or foster homes. And group homes, those are run by, in the state of Arizona, by private companies. It's, it is kind of weird. Um, and so they're not, they have state uh, responsibilities and, and uh, kind of oversight, but they're, they're private companies. And so these, are, these group homes are actually in Norterra. They're all throughout the North Valley. And you'll notice a group home when you see the big white van out front and you see kids jumping out. Okay? Um, not while the van's moving, though, okay? <laughs> they usually park before they do that. Um, so why is caring for orphans so important? I'd just say a couple of reasons real quick is poverty. Uh, there are more than 153 million orphans worldwide, most of which go without food, clothing, and shelter. So when you think of poverty at a global level, you need to actually connect it back to the orphan issue. Um, the orphans are the socially powerless people um, of our world. They're the ones that get in the, into the most trouble um, in all sorts of ways. And so it is a huge issue. So Jesus had a major ministry to the poor and the needy all throughout the New Testament and throughout church history. The church has always been there um, to help serve the poor. And in our country, the government tries to take over and, and to run this because the church doesn't do it as well. And so um, there's a big need. And when we look at poverty, we should also think about how they got there. And so another issue is why caring for orphans is so important is self-worth. Uh, many orphans don't have the love and support of a family. Let's talk specifically about Arizona. Today in Arizona, it has more than 19,000 children in foster care. That's a lot of kids. Um, these are kids that are in the system at some level. They're really properties of the state is what they are. Um, each year, more than 725 children age out of the system. That means they turn 18 and they just need to kind of move on. So they, they, they just age out of the system. Can you imagine what it's like being 18 years old and you're like, okay, it's time for you to leave. Nobody adopted you. Nobody, nobody's going to keep you now. You're on your own. Go for it. So when you see the people on the streets, when you see a lot of the trouble in our city, um, these are the kids that age out of the system that have the highest uh, probability they're going to be a criminal offender because there's no mom, there's no dad. And imagine the self-worth. You, you're, nobody loved you enough. You're un, you're, to them, they think, I'm unlovable. I'm unwanted. I'm unworthy. So these are so much of the needs that are going on. And then trafficking. Um, Phoenix is a major hub for trafficking in the United States. And so trafficking is another big issue with orphans. Orphans are easily victimized, blackmailed, manipulated because of their poverty and their lack of family support. So um, this is just a big issue, uh, the human trafficking. And so the question comes is, uh, how can we help orphans in our world today? Um, how can we as a church do this? And so I get got three just uh, points to make, and then I'm going to invite the panel up. I'd say number one is you just learn to do good for the powerless. So this is a very biblical idea that you learn to do good. The prophet Isaiah spoke to the nation of Israel as uh, the res their responsibilities as believers to serve everybody else. So believers, just so you know, we have the greatest responsibility in the world, okay? That is that we're going to show the love of God to the whole world around us. That call was on the nation of Israel. That call is on the church. Uh, we are the ones that are supposed to shine and to share the love of Jesus Christ to the whole world around us. 
So learning to do good's always been in place, but specifically among the socially powerless. And so Isaiah writes in his first chapter, a prophet's voice speaks up and breaks the silence and says, listen up, you need to, let's read it, Isaiah 1.17, learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless. What was going on in that day and time, orphan children were... Uh, put into slave labor, orphan children were being trafficked, orphan children uh, were being neglected, orphan children were being abandoned. I can think of even in the New Testament, all throughout the scripture, you see Jesus has a major emphasis with children. That's because in the Roman Empire in the first century, um, children were just like walking the streets. Children were not gifts from God, like we think. Children to them, especially if you weren't a Roman citizen, you were garbage. You had no rights. And so the church and the nation of Israel, backing up before Jesus, has always had a responsibility to do good. And there's a name, there's people involved in this. Learn to do good to who? Seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, and plead the widow's cause. So men, you have a responsibility. You should have a voice. You should speak into these things. You're a protector. You're a defender. Go do something about this. This is a big deal. And so you say, well, how can I do that? And so we're going to talk about different ways you can do that. Some of you are like, I don't feel called to foster. I don't feel called to adopt. Okay, but I'm going to show you in the Bible, you actually do have a responsibility. You are not off the hook. And so you better figure that out if, 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 if this is where you live underneath the authority of Scripture. If it's not, then you do whatever you want, and that's your choice. But for us who say the Bible speaks the authority over my life, I don't stand over the Bible, I live under the Bible, then I want to do these things. And so my heart is, is that maybe you would say today, Lord Jesus, I want to do these things. I want to learn to do good. How do you do that? Uh, I would say an orphan care orientation. We're going to be offering that in the next two weeks. That's not a high pressure pitch. It took me years to get on to this uh, acknowledging that God was calling our family to foster and adopt, but we're going to offer an orphan care orientation coming up in two weeks. So Mother's Day is next weekend. Invite all your friends and family, and then we'll set out more chairs and we'll have plenty more space. Um, but then the following weekend is going to be a, 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 a great service as well, kicking off a new series. And then what I would say is after that third service in two weeks, we're going to offer a class. My prayer is like this room would be filled up with folks that say, I want to help. You say, I don't want to foster. I don't want to adopt. Okay, guess what? There's a third option. And it doesn't, you don't have to get licensed. You don't have to do all the training. You do have to get a background check. And, uh, you you know, but there's very little training and you could actually help tremendously. Um, it's called a safe family. It's like you, you help in the process, and it could be like you, you, you listen to this, you house a kiddo for the weekend. Like a, 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 the mom and the dad, they got into a big fight, and then um, there's all sorts of issues, and the police show up, and we've got a lot of police officers in our church, and they've seen this before, and it's the hardest part of their job. They walk into a room, um, mom's beat up by dad, dad's out drinking, and then so what do they do? There's no family around. They don't know where they can't find any family. There's nobody to call because everybody's from somewhere else in this big valley, right? Everybody, how many of you are are from somewhere else, you were not born in Arizona, raise your hands. Look around the room. All of you are from somewhere else. That's part of the problem in Arizona. That's why we have the foster care crisis, because when you fall on hard times, who do you call? Mom and dad? Oh, they're in the Midwest. Oh, they're in California. We'll pray for you. Just joking. (laughs) 
Uh, number two, moving on. Remember the Father heart of God. Here we go. So remember the Father heart of God. This is a big deal for me. This is why I'm preaching this message. This is why I became a foster adoptive dad. Is because I saw the power finally. I was not moved emotionally to go foster or adopt. I was actually repelled by it. I remember we were in a church service and... Uh, I remember my wife saying, oh, the preacher's preaching and everybody needs to foster or adopt. Put all these sad children on the screen. Everybody's crying and all the women are like, we're going to do it. We're going to foster. And all the men are like, no. And then uh, I'm the guy in the back. I'm like, no, this is manipulation. I do not like this. You know? And my wife's like, you need to pray about it. And I'm like, oh, I know what that means. And so um, I was moved by this passage. Watch this. It says in Ephesians, the Apostle Paul says this. This is a paraphrase from the New Living Translation. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do. It gave him great pleasure. And I thought, man, that's what would be really cool to adopt and have that experience. And intellectually, things started happening in my mind to think, I want to identify with God the Father. I want to have the Father heart of God. I want to do that. I want to, I want to bring her into our family, save her from the life that she would have apart from a loving family. So we decided to do that. I remember when we got her, we got a phone call. We were up in Anthem, and we were at a party and uh, after church or whatever, and for those of you that are new, yes, Christians party and they have fun. It's good. So, um, but we're having a great time up in Anthem. And then uh, we get a phone call and my wife's like, they've got, we got a placement. And uh, it's a little girl. Her name is Maya. She's 13 months old. She's got nothing but a little uh, grocery sack with a t-shirt and a teddy bear. You want to pick her up? And I'm like, my heart wasn't totally in completely, but I was like, well, I think we better, you know. So she goes down and she gets Maya, and that's all she had. And I feel this passage echoing through my bones and through my soul today. Like, what a, what a cool experience to bring this child into our family. And so, for me, I wasn't moved emotionally to make the decision to do this. I was moved intellectually that thinking this could be a way to connect with God at a greater level. This could be a powerful ministry for me to do to express and experience all that God has. Number three, I would challenge you to serve and care for orphans. This isn't a new idea that you've probably heard in churches and different people say this kind of stuff, but let me help bring new insight into the scriptures and what it means. James chapter 1, verse 27, um, the apostle James says this, religion that is pure, right? We kind of all want that kind of stuff. We want pure religion. We want to live pure like a good life that's a Christian life, undefiled before God, the Father, notice that Father heart of God again. He didn't say God the Holy Spirit. He didn't say God Jesus. He said God the Father is this, it's to visit orphans. The word visit in the Greek actually means to serve and to care. So here's my question to you. Will you serve? Will you care? If you do, then you fulfill that. So then the question comes, well, how do I serve, and then how do I care? So I want to invite our panel up, and they're going to share how they've served and how they've cared, 
and then how you could be a part of that. So will you give them a big North Valley welcome? So while they're coming up, if you've got questions and you want to ask a question, raise your hand. We're going to do live Q&A. And, uh, and, if, and to get us started, um, I'm just going to ask Todd if you'll introduce yourself and then go down the line. Uh, thanks for being here today, guys. Absolutely. Uh, you can see my uh, children, or our children, up on the screen. You see Sophia Ann, RJ. Also, uh, his name is Reginald Josiah, but goes by RJ. And then my oldest son, Cooper David. This is my wife, Sam, and my name's Todd Bardine. My name is Jason Paulus. This is my wife, Carmen. Uh, we are a blended and adoptive family. We have a 16, or she's turning 16 in a week, um, Taylor. And then we have Michaela, who came into our home when she was 15 months. Um, it was a placement from California. It took my wife about 15 months to get her transferred over because we knew she was coming from birth. And then we have Luke, who is seven, and we, he came into our home when he was two days old. And real quick, I didn't tell this in the last service, but this illustrates foster care. Sunday afternoon, we had newly, newly uh, licensed foster parents, and we got a call saying, hey, we've got a, a, a placement, or a, a little boy who was just born, we need a home for him. So we were at Maggiano's on Scottsdale Road, and you know, whatever, Frank Wood Wright. And, um, we were there with the whole family. Some of them are here right now. And while we were having appetizers, they called and said, hey, we're here. Can you come meet us? We went outside during appetizers, grabbed our baby boy, and we've had him ever since. That's awesome. But wait, I want to know, did you finish your appetizers? We ate the whole meal. <laughs> That's the way you start a kiddo, right there. All right. Hi, I'm Chris Heath. This is my wife, Kim. We have a blended family as well. We have a 32-year-old who struggles with addiction. We have a 30-year-old and an 18-year-old going off to ASU in August. And we have two foster kinships that we have with two of our grandchildren. We have five grandchildren total. That's awesome. All right, so questions that you guys have, just raise your hand. Josh was walking around. And so oh, just raise your hand, and then he'll come over to you, and then uh, he'll hold the mic, and then you could ask your question. So while they're getting ready, you guys raise your hand at any point in time. So here's a question is, why, why did you guys do this? Well, that's somebody, people ask me that all the time. Why did you decide to foster? Why did you decide to adopt? So I guess I'll go first. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Carmen actually had some family members who grew up in the foster system. They were in a different state, so she and her family were only limited in what they could do to help. So she lived, uh, grew up seeing the effect of bouncing around from foster home to foster home. So it kind of, it weighed on her heart. To be honest, it wasn't an idea that I had, um, but we knew we were going to expand our family, and so that was a route we ended up taking. Um, and one, one other thing that um, you mentioned when we were talking outside earlier um, after our fr we, we um, brought Luke into our home first and we had him with us for I don't know about a year before Michaela nine months before Michaela joined us and it was a really challenging nine months and I wasn't ready I wasn't sure that I was ready for another uh, placement but after seeing what had happened in her family and just thinking about what's going to happen to this child if we don't intervene 
you brought that up when we were sitting outside, and I feel like that's a pretty good thought process that should go through your mind, especially if you've seen the results of bouncing in and out of the foster care system. So if you're thinking about doing it, just think about where this child's gonna end up if someone or you don't intervene. Yeah, that's good, great. So questions, right here. Can you just explain like what the process was for you to go ahead and be, I don't know, legalized or whatever to adopt? How hard that was? Sam, you got it. Go for it. I don't have a good answer for this. So we're not, we don't have, kin, we're not kinship or, so ours was probably from a blank slate, but um, basically there's a couple different ways to go about it. Um, find an agency, go to an orientation, which I think you're having in a couple weeks, yep, right? Yep. Um, my husband didn't want to do it at all, so I just kept telling him, we'll just go step by step and you can back out at any time. Right. We this... made it all the way to the end. I'm just... Now we have three. <laughs> <laughs> but um, they'll walk you through. There's some classes and then you have to have some background checks and um, they'll make sure your home is safe. And um, I'm not going to lie, we did get put in the penalty box because uh, we're like... Our showers over 120 degrees, you would rather have them in a crack house than uh, potentially get burned by the water. We would say things like that. That's us. <laughs> so we got put in the penalty box. But um, in all seriousness, I, I don't know if that answers your question. You can also go through a lawyer. It's much more expensive and tedious to do it that way. So um, the two largest, I think one of the misnomers is, and I know you're bringing in Christian Family Care. I used to work there. But... Um, Arizona Children's Association and uh, Catholic Charities are the two largest. So if you're very specific about what you want, you may want to consider um, going to a larger organization. No, no, that's good. So another question you guys might have right here. And it doesn't help to be sarcastic to DCS. I do get coached before they come. <laughs> right. There's, yeah. I get well coached. Right. Yeah, there's, yeah don't, don't do sarcasm in those things. They're you like video you too, so... Yeah, I'm going to put Chris on the spot, so, because I know Chris, we're friends, but just talk about some of the day-to-day -day challenges, because I know mm. you've got two fairly young, and just day-to-day -day integrating your work life and your personal life and how that all fits together, and kind of give us a picture of that. Yeah. Diapers are a challenge. I call her uh, trying to change a little baby rhinoceros. Uh, <laughs> It's, it's difficult at best. Uh, I had said this earlier. It was, uh, we have uh, our guardianship of our six-and-a-half-year-old, and then the DCS... Hold that DCS, mic closer. There sorry. you go. Yeah. The DCS stork came and called us uh, August and didn't even know she was pregnant. We had two hours to decide if we wanted to go ahead and take the other child. It's a fun two-hour conversation. I struggled. A lot mm. of challenges uh, throughout August. And as I mentioned this earlier, I was praying to God. I'm like, I need to have some patience. I need to slow down. I need to figure things out. And I was going down to the beach you know, on Labor Day weekend to Carlsbad. Going down the beach, I slipped and uh, ruptured my patellar tendon. Off to the ambulance to the hospital surgery that day back home. And a full leg brace for seven and a half weeks. Two and a half weeks sitting on the couch. I had a lot of time. God works in uh, wonderful, mysterious ways. <laughs> Could have done without the pain, but I got the message. 
And then I told uh, Kim, I said, I'm 100% all in. Uh, I will give you everything I need to do. You know, we'll, we'll raise, we'll raise uh, this child. And so uh, one of the best things I can say is if you're looking at adoption, you're looking at uh, fostering, have a good game plan with your spouse. Uh, it's harder for her to get ready in the morning than it is me. I can just get out of bed and walk and go right to my computer and start to work. But I'll take the kids in the morning. She, get helps, she gets them ready in the morning. I take them in the morning, and then she'll pick, uh, pick them up in the afternoon. So it helps with that kind of having that kind of a routine. So there are a lot of challenges, but they're easy to overcome. But the rewards are so fantastic. Yeah. And it's not about us. It's about them. And the alternative is horrific on a horrific scale of what they have to go through in the foster system. Yeah. yeah. Great. We got a question right here. From a pro. Oh, there we go. Okay. How did you guys deal with having the other children in the home welcome another child in there? Did you guys have either some heartwarming stories or some challenges? So I can answer that, but I want you guys to answer that first. So it's up to you. I'm going to take this really quick and give my husband some serious kudos, which never happens. Wow. So, um, <laughs> let's, let's just take a break right now and, and like, let's let this happen. There. So he had the best idea. <laughs> Sophia and Cooper had been together since Sophia was nine months old. And uh, no one except for me wanted RJ, just so you know. And um, our agreement was I would change all dirty diapers. And <laughs> but to answer your question... <laughs> To answer your question, he said, let's put their fingerprints on the knife. So what we did is we sat them down and we basically said, there's a little kid and uh, doesn't have a home. And before we even finished the sentence, Sophia said, well, he needs to live here. Aww. And that was it. Yeah. I had dark hair before all this started. <laughs> Yeah, it is hard. It is hard. It's uh, you do need to know. It is uh, fostering and adoption is a hard deal. And one of the messages that we like people to to hold on to is that God, He qualifies all those whom He calls. You know, like He will qualify you. You you probably feel unqualified, and but God will qualify you to 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 follow Him and to trust Him in this process. And so. If you sense God's calling you to do this, uh, at some level, just realize you, we already know you're, you feel unqualified. And that's why, uh, that's what's so special about it, is that you get this new level of support and, and power in it. So, we've got a question here. My question's for Carmen. Carmen, how has the Lord used this in your life? Um, like, what's been some of the greatest blessings and then just your greatest growth through it? That wasn't on the list. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. I was supposed like to protect him from all this. <laughs> no, I, I, that's, that's a really good question. Um, there's incredible blessings that are just even hard to put into words, and oftentimes it's the most challenging situations that are the most blessing. Um, we celebrate inch stones in our family, so Luke and Michaela both experienced incredible amounts of trauma and just daily living that comes easily for your biological children or neurotypical children is harder for them. So reading a book was an amazing 
um, blessing for us, that just huge moment. Um, and I'm, I'm a mother. I have three children um, that can't be changed. I'm on the birth certificate for these two little ones. And um, Taylor has siblings that she wouldn't have otherwise. And we've grown. We are more accepting. We're more understanding. We're more patient. We're more aware of other kids' needs. I think that's kind of how we've grown. Great. Got another question? Gentlemen, uh, at least I know there's uh, folks that, especially the guys that... Um, I have a bio biological child, or I don't, but how do I get, how do I accept this person? How do I love this person that's now been put in my life that, um, how do you get past that? How do you get to, to love this person that's maybe not your biological child? Yeah. In therapy terms, they, they call that the, like, emotional attachment. Like, how do you become emotionally attached? And so that's a very normal uh, question for parents to have is like, how can I, and even the child that's coming in, sometimes there's a, an emotional de detachment because of the difference. So Chris or somebody, did you guys want to answer the question? How to attach, how to. Yeah, I was just going to say it's, it's kind of similar when I had my daughter 18 years ago, I took her and when I gave that hundred percent to Kim and said, I'm all in. I just took her and I held her up to my face. I looked at her and she, you know, rubbing your face and just had that bonding moment and realized this is permanent. This isn't something that, you know, I'm gonna have her for a couple of weeks and send her back somewhere else. So to answer that, you find a way to have that bonding moment, you know, put them on your chest like you would your own child. Uh, and if you don't have a child, it's great bonding experience to put them on your chest, hold their face, look in their eyes, and when you feed them, and ridiculous it is, is when you change their diaper, yeah. you know, they know you're taking care of them. They look at you and, and you get that sense of responsibility. I, I don't bond like that. <laughs> <laughs> I just threw that out there for you, Ryan. Right. Hey, but I will say, to answer that question, I would say, you know, for me, it was not an emotional attachment experience. It was an intellectual attachment. Once I realized, like, wait a second. The Bible kind of communicates that I can experience the gospel in an incredible capacity if I could do this thing. Because I've done all sorts of ministry, of, uh, officiating weddings, uh, memorial services, preaching, seeing people come to faith in Christ, baptism, baby dedications, church mission trips. I would say nothing has been more powerful like this. This fostering and adoption. So for me, it was an intellectual attachment to Bible passages, but this is perhaps just me. But once I attach to that scripture and go, this is truth, therefore, I'm like what Chris said, I'm all in. And that to me was the pathway for emotional attachment, was through intellectual agreement that this is good. I can express the Father heart of God in this. And, and real quick, just yeah. to give you where I was at, for the first three weeks, I never called her by her name. I didn't think we would be having her full time until right. I did that and prayed about it. Yeah. So it is a challenge. Yeah, it is. You can jump in. I just want to add a little something to that. Um, so my story is a little bit different. I said this in an earlier service. These people are so much better than me, including Leslie and Ryan. So, but I want to say this because I feel like it's important to all of you women out there who are Psalm 113.9 women. Um, 
like you said, my decision was intellectual and not emotional. I wanted kids, couldn't have them, and I was going to get them one way or another. And adoption was a lot less expensive and a sure thing than uh, science experiments with my body. So um, that being said, not to burst all you bio moms bubbles, but the truth of the matter is when you have kids, it is 100% oxytocin that, you know, bonds you with the kid. And I had to think long and hard was, am I okay getting, not having the birthing experience, which is funny because now I'm like, who would want to have the birthing experience? <laughs> when you can just adopt, go pick them up, you know. But, right, yeah, exactly. exactly. yeah. <laughs> so, um, but to Chris's point, actually, I remember the exact moment. Yep. I got Sophia at birth, and um, I remember the, ex- and I got to be there through the whole thing. I loved the birth mom, despite her poor choices, and, um, I remember the exact moment I fell in love with her, and that was, she was four months old, and I was changing her dirty diaper, and she looked up at me, and she just had the biggest grin, and I don't know why that moment, but that specific moment, I was just like, oh my God, I'm in, so, oh sorry, took the Lord's name in vain, on stage, at church. <laughs> oh no, you're good. Lord, protect I'm in her. love with you. <laughs> oh, that's too funny, yeah. Okay, so all this bonding during diaper change. Of course the baby was happy. She was like, thank you. You clean me up. There you go. Okay, any other questions you guys have? Right here, Fort. Oh, we got one. Teresa. Okay, all right. So um, truth be told, I, I know Carmen and Jason pretty well. We actually went to high school together. Um, so uh, they're amazing people. I have, a com- I have a question kind of, but it's more of a comment. Um, if you are considering... It, they're an amazing resource. Um, they're amazing parents. Um, really good friends. Um, but their journey didn't start with Luke and Michaela, actually. And I'm forgetting his name, but he was the cutest little bundle ever. And I remember being in your guys' house with him and, and sitting there. And you, it was the same kind of story. You got him in, like, it was like five minutes. We had to go pick up this newborn baby um, and Carmen was like, you know, everybody else gets nine months, <laughs> you know, to get, bring home the baby. Um, but the amount of amazing um, grace and poise and humility that they took that on with was nothing but inspiring. I left their house going, we need to foster and adopt. I ended up pregnant three months later. So <laughs> the Lord's like, no, you ain't ready. Um, so um, I just wanted to, to talk about, because they didn't get to keep that little boy. So for people who are maybe considering fostering, not adopting, um, I thought maybe Carmen and Jason would have um, some input on that piece of the process. Because it was an amazing, God-inspiring moment to love on that baby for those few days, um, but incredibly difficult, too. And I wasn't even his mama for the short period of time, so. You helped me trim his nails, Yeah, if you remember. Yeah, Yeah, I think... Foster care is all about um, humility and giving to someone who maybe can't return. So it was a joy to be able to love on him for that time frame. And it hurt incredibly when he left. And I've, I've had multiple people say, I can't foster. It would hurt too much. And that is a true statement. But yes, you can. Because better for us to hurt than them. Mm-hmm. Can I add that? Yeah. 
One thing you do need to keep into consideration if this is something you want to do, DCS's idea of a suitable parent is going to be a lot different than yours. So you get a child for a week, which we had Miguel for a week, and to see him go to a, a family that you know, um, you don't know for sure, but you know that he was drug exposed in your row, you know that, that, that um, those habits are probably going to continue. To, to see him leave, know that you're never going to see him again, and he's going to go back to that situation is, is tough, and that's something that you have to deal with. And we, we weren't ready for it, to be honest. I mean, that was, we only had him for a week, and that was a tough day. I think the, the, the questions we could carry on a long time. I think uh, the reality is, is that this is a very sensitive subject and it's challenging. But as a believer, you need to think about how God would have you engage in this. Uh, what I do want to encourage you to do is I want you to mark your calendars and be a part of that. Uh, Sunday, May 23rd, it'll be after the third service. Just come and hang out. Free food on us. Come and hang out. And then hear how you could be a part of uh, fostering or adopting or another option. It's called a safe family. And it literally means that you just take the child in perhaps for a weekend or something. And, and, I, and I think for me, if I'm as a believer, I just want to know, like if Jesus says, I came to give life and give it abundantly, I want to max it out. I want to have the greatest life I possibly can. I want to be the greatest influence I possibly can. So if the scripture tells me to do something, I'm going to figure out how to get that thing applied in my life so that I can make a difference so that I can experience God's greatest blessing in my life. And that's what I just challenge you guys to do is if, if you live like this, then you just live like this. This is you're under the authority of scripture. So then you wrestle with the passages that I talked about today in Isaiah, learn to do good. And then it says, you know, uh, serve as an advocate for the fatherless. And then James in the New Testament says, this is pure religion uh, that the father loves. The father loves it when we're extending care, visiting orphans. And that means to serve and to care. So I encourage you to do that. Let me pray for us and uh, we'll continue in our worship service. Heavenly Father, Thank you for these families uh, testifying and giving testimony. Lord, it's a great joy, but it's incredibly difficult and challenging too. And so, Father, would you make us strong? Would you make this church even stronger, more influential? That we would be people, Lord, that wouldn't just be known for what we believe, but what we do. And, Father, may our beliefs motivate our actions and might there be great glory and joy and experience in that. So we love you and thank you for today. In Christ's name, amen. Hey, will you give them a big round of applause? Thank you for listening. To become a supporter of North Valley Community Church, give today at northvalleychurch.org.